my privilege to share God's Word today. Let me first describe myself. Uh, thank you for uh, describing me, Pastor Anna, but let me describe myself. Uh, I am a, I'm less caring than you think I am. I'm less concerned. Uh, why? Focusing only on myself, my family, my friends, and this church. Right, so we're okay, alright? Yeah. Um, but the turning point came one day as I learned what the word grace actually means. We all know the definition. Grace means unmerited favour. A gift from God. Not earned. Cannot be bought. Grace comes from God. Now, today's passage helps us to shed more light on God and His grace. In essence, what does grace look like in real life? I hope that what I have learned from the passage will also become your experience today. Because once you understand, once you understand and appreciate what God's grace stands for, it will transform. It will transform the way you live your life. God's grace saved you and I. God's grace continues His work of sanctifying us for His mission, His purpose, and for His kingdom on earth. And then you can live your life with meaning, with purpose, with passion. You can be a confident Christian because your confidence lies in God, whose grace not only saved you, but also shapes your perspective as pilgrims on earth. And to help us understand this truth about grace, I want to draw your attention to one of Jesus' parables. The common belief that the reason why Jesus used parables in His teaching, the common belief was this, to make hard truths, to make hard truths clear, familiar, and easy to understand. But this is not what Jesus is saying. When Jesus explained why he spoke in parables, he gave the opposite reason in Matthew chapter 13. I'll read to you. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Matthew 13, verse 10. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away. This is why Jesus continued, I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Those hearing, they do not hear or understand. Jesus continued, In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but not perceiving. For these people's heart, Jesus says, has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and then they turn, and I would heal them. Amazing, isn't it? The common belief, Jesus used parables so that simple, easy to understand. No. This is not what I just read to you, Matthew 13. In short, Jesus' parables had a twofold purpose, twofold. On the one hand, a parable hides. It hides the truth from anyone who does not have the discipline or the desire to seek out Christ's meaning. So on the one hand, it hides. 
But there are many who thought of themselves as righteous people and who do not need to know the truth. So to these people, the parable hides the true meaning. Now on the other hand, the same parable, same parable revealed truth to those who are seeking to know the truth. Let us approach Jesus' parable today with honesty, with honesty and with an openness to let the parable be a mirror into our lives. We, as people of God, let us go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, guide us and help us to appreciate the weekly gathering of men and women in this church to study your word. For when your word is preached, when your word is taught, your glory is magnified and your grace is manifested, resulting in the transformation of your people. Unlock your truths and teach us how these truths can surely be applied into our lives. For we seek nothing less than to be a community of faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. We meet a boss, a landowner, who pays inept, inefficient labourers who work for less than 10% of the work day. This boss pays this worker a full day salary. It is fine. But then he pays another cohort of full day workers. Here is those who work 10%. Here are those who work full day. The same amount of money to work in his vineyard. Soon enough, he hears a complaint. Now his reply was not pleasant to the ears. He says like this, Can't I do what I want with my own? Now, if this story happens today, and if this is the answer you get from your boss, can't I do what I want with my own? And your boss does not provide any supporting reason or justification. He will receive a call from mum. Ministry of Manpower. Can't I do what I want with my money? Now, how many of us, how many of us would want to work in such condition and for such a boss? Unfair, uncaring, heartless. Now, Jesus' parable usually contains an element of shock. In all his parables, usually contain an element of shock as well as suspense. But the effect of today's parable would probably have left the people more stunned, more stunned than any other parable they, that we have heard so far. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. This is the ESV who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. As with my usual practice, the, one, the words in yellow are important. Right? Now, the owner of the land goes out to the marketplace where workers gather around, waiting to be hired. At the break of dawn, probably at 6 o'clock in the morning, this owner went out and he met an initial group of workers. The workers will be paid a denarius. A denarius was a Roman coin equivalent to the Greek drachma or half a Jewish shekel. Now, normally, a denarius equal a day's pay, a full day's pay for both the skilled laborer, skilled laborer or the Roman soldier, all right? For skilled laborer or Roman soldier. Now, in terms of purchasing power, four denarii could buy you a lamb. Now, the workers agreed to the one denarius wage, 
Now, the original idea behind this word agree implies agreement after bargaining, after deliberation. Thus, it can be translated as having bargained with his workers. There is agreement. Because later in the story, the boss asked, didn't you agree with me for a denarius? Verse 13, we'll go to that later. So this word emphasizes the, the workers' involvement in the deal. Now, a common unskilled day laborer could be hired for a small fraction of a denarius. Skilled laborer, Roman soldier, one denarius. Unskilled laborer, a fraction of a denarius. Now, the landowner was very generous to offer a denarius for the work. Naturally, the early morning cohort of workers gladly agreed to the terms and went to work. And going about the third hour, this is about 9 o'clock in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. I need to explain the, the Jewish uh, workday starts at 6 and then 12 hours later at 6 p.m. it ends. All right, 12 hour shift, not like hours, 9 to 5, minus lunch, minus 2, tea break. That's his 12 hours, okay? And so first hour means 6 o'clock, second hour means 7, uh, third hour is therefore 9. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace and to them he said, you, Go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. The third hour, as I mentioned, means nine in the morning. Now, this owner went out and he tells this, another batch, different from the first batch, he said, you go out to my vineyard too and I'll pay you whatever is fair. Whatever is right. Now, at this point, a notion, a notion of fairness is introduced into the parable. In case we think that, hey, it is not fair. No, there's a notion of fairness. God's, uh, this landowner said that I'll pay what is right or what is fair. So the same deal was struck with the other cohorts at 9, 12 noon, 3, up, 3 in the afternoon. The owner says, whatever is right, I will give you. Now, here we have a view of the owner. He is not a person of unscrupulous principle. Don't need to call mum. Let's continue. Verse 6. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You, go into the vineyard too. Now the workday was virtually over when the vineyard owner went out once again. About the 11th hour, this is about 5. Remember, it's a 12-hour shift. With only an hour left before sunset. And very soon, the workday will be over. The landowner still went out to look for workers who were still gathered at the marketplace. Now, those people had been waiting for someone to offer them work. And even with one hour left to go, they are still waiting. No doubt, after a day of fruitless waiting, these people hanging out at the marketplace were disheartened, discouraged, thinking that they would return to their families with their pockets empty. And so the story continues. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to, the, to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now I want us to zoom in on the laborers queuing up to collect their pay. Here are the Different cohorts of laborers queuing up to collect their pay. Now, first in line were those who started work at the last minute 
at the 11th hour, the 5 o'clock crew. These workers have worked for only one hour, right? One hour. How much would they get? A denarius divided by 12. Imagine their surprise when they open the envelope. A denarius. This is not the Chinese New Year coin. This is a real coin. Okay, but this is a real thief too, so let's not play with it. And did the owner misplace and mix up the envelope or not? These workers, the last minute workers, five o'clock workers, they receive a full day salary. Can you imagine that? Packed to a soldier's daily pay in return for only one hour, probably less if you consider the travel time. You can see the green on their faces, uncontrolled joy as each of the five o'clock crew open their envelopes and they find one denarius in their envelopes. Now zoom in on the labourers standing at the end of the queue, those belonging to the first batch of workers. You can visualise them rubbing their hands in excitement and thinking of a great dinner. If one hour pays one denarius, their minds begin to imagine the feast they are going to enjoy with their families with a paycheck of 12 denarius. When was the last time we ordered the KFC family feast with additional side orders of the coleslaw and whipped potato? What is on their mind? They are singing this song. When they opened their pay envelope and found that they likewise received a denarius, they exploded. Only one denarius. This man had worked only one hour, they say. This man had worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have worked the longest under the heat of the sun. Is that fair? Now we sympathise with the plight of the grumbling workers. They had worked the full two-hour shift 6 o'clock in the morning to until sunset, 6 o'clock. Performing back-breaking tasks under the hot Palestinian sun. This is unfair treatment. This is favoritism. This is double standard. This man had worked longer and under more difficult circumstances. The term scorching heat. Scorching heat means warm, burning heat. They don't have sun, sun, tan lotion, sun protection lotion. The grapes are harvested during the hottest time of the year in Palestine. So these men were correct about the tough conditions under which they had worked. But the land only replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you, want, do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the, this last worker as I give to you. Verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, it is one thing to feel being treated unfairly. Huh? We sometimes feel that this world owes us a living. It's one thing to, be, to feel being treated unfairly, but it is another thing to confirm that feeling. Can you imagine that? The unhappiness level among the workers who work the full day is compounded by the boss outburst. Instead of an apology, in a soft tone, nice words, the vineyard owner told the workers off. But read carefully. The owner greeted their spokesman. He said, friend, 
which speaks of magnanimity and graciousness. The owner could express his anger at the worker's complaint, but he didn't. The man that the owner was talking to could not claim injustice. Why? Because they had agreed upon a denarius for a day's work in verse 2, isn't it? So the owner was perfectly justified in saying, I do you no wrong. Verse 14 literally says that, the owner says that, take up your pay. Take up your pay. The man refused to accept payment. Only one denarius. But the owner desired to give the workers the agreed one denarius, a full day's pay. And so this parable shows both the owner's sovereignty to do as he pleased and his generous nature. The owner went out first at dawn to hire laborers. He continued going out at different intervals, 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 noon, 3 in the afternoon, and then an hour before quitting time at 5 p.m. The vineyard owner was still adding to his workforce. All was well. All was well until you come to the end of the story. There was unhappiness. There was grumbling among those who were hired first. So naturally and logically, the whole episode seems unfair to us. That those who have worked the longest should get paid the most, or at least, at least, those who work less should receive less, isn't it? I mean, there must be some equity here. But if we are honest with ourselves, the owner's reply cuts to the heart of the matter. He's saying, are you envious because I am generous? They were unhappy that they were paid only what they agreed to accept when they hired. They were unhappy because the owner had demonstrated amazing generosity to the latecomers. Now, I want us to take note at this point in time, the pay that the workers receive is not something that they had earned. It is not given to them like a minimum wage. Okay, so you work this, I give you a minimum wage. In a fair exchange, no, it is far too much for that. The wage of one denarius represents a gracious gift, a lavish endowment that exceeds the best reward. Any day worker, any subcontractor, unskilled labor can get. Now I want us to pause and reflect and think deeper about this. Now these people, the morning crew, the first batch of morning crew, they had no valid reason for complaint. Since they had known this would be the pay, they have agreed originally to work for the landowner. Now the workers hired later were getting a higher rate of pay. For this reason, those who are hired first become envious. Some people, to be honest, many of us, we seem to have a difficult time when others get a better deal. Especially, especially if we feel ourselves more worthy of success and reward. Just because that someone less deserving in our minds was treated with even more generosity, we were instantly harboring thoughts of mistreatment. In essence, these workers were envious of the other person's good fortune. They couldn't stand the thought that other workers would get the same pay without working as hard as they did. Gratitude at 6am turned into bitterness faster than a speeding bullet. The, last, the parable ends with this statement, the last will be first and the first last. Now let's unpack what we have learned from the parable. God has a great harvest, a great work, a plan for everyone who will respond to God's invitation. There are two principles we can learn from the parable. The first principle is that God is the one who initiates the call to salvation. 
God initiates the call to salvation. In the parable, the landowners went out to find the labourers in the marketplace and, and He brought them into His vineyard. God does the seeking. God does the saving. Our salvation is entirely God's work. And that's why, that's why the main reason we, we have no right to make demands or complaint or even set limits on what God gives or how God treats another person is this. Our salvation is entirely God's work. It is God's prerogative and He's alone to show mercy to whomever He chooses to show mercy. God initiates the call to salvation. The second principle is this. God continues that call. The door is still open and will remain open for as long as God allows it. God sovereignly goes on the hunt to invite people into His kingdom. God calls you and grants you the reward of eternal life on the basis of His sovereign grace, nothing else. The fact that the owner kept going back to the marketplace is in line with Jesus' teaching that show God has a great work, a great harvest, and the laborers are few. Matthew chapter 9, isn't it? The vineyard owner paid special attention to those he found at the 11th hour. In fact, when he asked why they had remained standing here, the word here is emphatic. He was concerned about them because they were people who would have no hope of employment. At 5 p.m., one hour before the work is over, their situation must have seemed hopeless because it was really near the end of the workday. But this is the landowner. He went out. Question, why does he wait till the last hour to call some? Give us headache, isn't it? Why didn't the landowner hire everyone in the marketplace, Singapore style, on the first trip and then the home of 11 hours stay at home, stay in his vineyard? Why go out repeatedly? Inefficient. Now, the parable didn't reveal the reasons. Neither do we know why God saves people at different stages of life. God sovereignly determines both when and whom He will call. That's the idea. God continues to call people into His kingdom. All throughout human history and in every phase of the human lifespan, God is calling people into His kingdom. It is an ongoing work. God's call will go forth until the end of the age. There are those who respond to the gospel and begin to serve the Lord in their twilight, in their senior pioneer years. No matter at what age, a sinner comes to the Lord and you will be accepted. God initiates the call. God continues the call. Praise be unto the Lord. The landowner in the story represents God. The vineyard is the kingdom, the sphere of God's rule. The laborers are believers. People, you and I, who come into the service of the king, the day of work is their lifetime. The evening is eternity. The denarius represents eternal life. Now, this parable is a picture of God's sovereign saving grace. Since sinners are unworthy and the riches of God's grace are inexhaustible, all believers, everyone, young and old, men, women, rich, poor, all believers receive an infinite and eternal share of God's mercy and kindness. Don't no one really deserve it. None of us. But all of us will receive an infinite and eternal share. Jesus is describing 
how grace works in the sphere where God rules. In God's kingdom, that means the rule of God in our midst, on this earth, the church, God's holy community. Now, this parable reveals a side of God that is counterintuitive. God is all good, He is all grace. At the same time, this parable reveals an ugly side of humanity, even among those who were recipients of God's grace. Believers who are recipients of God's grace, all too often, we fall into the sin of envy, jealousy. We fall into the sin of questioning, challenging, and even, even doubting God. Especially when we see how others are being treated differently and better than us. We must learn to live within our faith journey and not look over our shoulder asking, well, what about that person? Or what about him? What about her? What about them? You may say, I grew up in this church, you know. I've been faithfully attending the Sunday school. I've been present at all the important meetings. You find me at the prayer meeting. Church camp, check. Church meetings, check. AGM, check. EGM, not present, but I send my proxies. But who are those people? They are so unfeeling, familiar to me. Do they know the history of this church? Do they know the teachings of this church? What do they know about our vision to be a disciple-making church? Not everyone will be used by God in the same way and in the same time. We shouldn't look. We shouldn't look at those with higher profile and desire to function in their role. Or, you imagine... We are praying for revival. One day it breaks out and everyone rejoices. A week or two later, crowds, crowds of people begin to flood into the church. They get in on what's happening. They heard what's happening to this church, Grace Baptist Church, exciting news. Even though they had no part in praying for revival, they didn't agonize in prayer alongside us. But nevertheless, they are getting all the benefit of the movement of God. Now, it would be very tempting for any long standing member to think, who are these people? They don't deserve to get in, in on this, into this place. We are the ones who have worked. We are the ones who have waited. We are the ones who have prayed. We are the ones who have given. Remember God's sovereign grace. Do not be like the workers with a negative, self-righteous attitude who think they deserve better than those who came late into the vineyard. Remember, it is God who initiates the call to come into His kingdom. It is God's prerogative. It is God's sovereign will. God is gracious and we should always celebrate His grace. The parable of the vineyard exalts this principle of grace. Knowing that God's grace makes our salvation possible, my personal response is profound thankfulness. For there are many who have been more faithful than I who worked harder than I, who labored longer than I, and who suffered under greater trials. There are many I know. I'm sure you know many too. Of course, there are perhaps others who have worked less, uh, fewer years, with less passion, diligence. So you see, it doesn't matter whether the invitation comes at 6, 9, or 3 in the last minute, or, or in the last minute at 5. To be invited into the vineyard, is to be invited home. Who could ask for anything more? Hebrews 7 says, God's grace abounds even to the worst of sinners. 
and God saves all of us to the uttermost. That gives God glory. And that certainly is a reason to praise God and rejoice along with all who have received such grace. Secondly, God's grace should lead us to serve God and one another. We come into God's kingdom through this unmerited favour of His, not as the result of any effort, any ability, any intelligent choice of us, of ours, or acts of service on our part. Out of gratitude for this free gift, we will seek to help, we will seek to serve others with kindness, goodness, love, and not merely to please ourselves. Now I have to remind us, while no action or work we do can help us obtain salvation, okay, no action or any work of any kind, any degree we do can help us obtain salvation because it is grace. But it is God's intention that our salvation will result in works of service. We are saved not merely for our own benefit, but to serve God and to join in advancing the gospel, building up the church. We are recipients of God's grace. Therefore, God's grace should embody God's church, isn't it? There are some jobs in life that anybody can do. But there are some jobs that only a believer can do. Only a Christian can tell other people about Christ. Only a Christian can tell other people how to get to heaven. And only a Christian can show Christ's compassion the way Christ wants it shown. We have no greater duty, responsibility, joy and privilege than to tell the story of Christ our Redeemer. A thankful spirit combined with the attitude of servanthood will help Grace Baptist Church fulfill the mission that God has given to all. With God's help, we can, as a Baptist community, do our part to advance the gospel. Every Baptist, a missionary, this is our clarion call. Our witness is not a story we create, but one we faithfully remember to pass along. The words on our lips cry out. In parenthesis, with God's help, in parenthesis, make every Baptist, every Grace Baptist Church worshipper a missionary. We don't only sing, I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. We don't sing. We can sing what grace is mine in a song of response later on. Because there's a song should be on our lips. Because we are saved by grace and this church is God's grace, Baptist church. Let us pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us how much you love us from this passage. You are the one who initiates the call to salvation. You are the one who continues the call to salvation. We ask God that you help us have this power of yours. May our hearts be as open as yours. May our hearts be as great, as wide as yours. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.